I love to cook. I know, Ralph, you're, you like to cook. I don't know if... People get surprised sometimes when I say that I cook. I don't know what that is. Do I not look like somebody who likes to cook? I'm not really sure, but, you know, most, most of the week... I'm not trying to brag here, but I am trying to brag here. I, I, I make the majority of the dinners during the week. I really do love to cook. It's something that I enjoy doing. I, it's not that I'm sitting here going, I have to do it. I actually really enjoy doing it. I enjoy doing it. And I think that it came from, uh, I think it came from my grandpa, uh, Papa. Papa loved to cook. And my parents are good cooks. And so it was just one of those things you kind of watch and you kind of look. And, and, and as I watched my grandpa cook, I, it was, you know, you could say you were hungry at 11 o'clock at night and he'd get up and he'd get out a potato and he would start making hash browns and he would season everything to perfection. He could take the most simple things and make them so good. Just, in the, just since my parents have been here, we've talked about some of the things that Papa used to make and some of the things that we miss uh, as he's no longer with us. But so that is one of those things. I remember being very young in the kitchen and, and trying different seasonings out. What does this do with this and what does that do? And you learn very quickly what doesn't work. But you also learn on the things that do work. And secret ingredients become... The, the thing, you know, it's, it's always garlic salt. Always know that, right? Garlic salt is always the secret ing- ingredient. But as, here's the thing is sometimes as I'm cooking, as I'm making certain things, and I'm just really into the kitchen and, and all over the place, I'm thinking, oh, this will be good, and I'll do it. Have you ever gotten a little over, like a little carried away with the seasoning? Yeah. And so when you sit down to eat the meal, you take the first bite, and you're like, whew, that's salty. You know, that's the thing about salt is you can always add salt, but you can't take it out once it's in there. It has a way of taking over a dish. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? when you're, the, This idea that so much work and so much effort and all of that to make something can just be gone just like that. Well, now that we're all hungry, let's take a look at the words of Jesus when he talks about salt. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Immediately following the words of Jesus telling them that they are blessed when people speak horrible things about you and people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Father in heaven, as we open up your word today, as we study it out, we pray that you would speak to us today. Anoint our ears to hear from heaven. Or that you would anoint my lips and my mind that the words that I speak would be from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. What does this mean? <laughs> Why is Jesus using these 
metaphors of salt and light and things like that. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the question that I had when I, you know, would you really look at these things is, what does Jesus mean by you are the salt of the earth? Why salt? And what characteristics of salt is Jesus wanting us to be? Salt was valuable. Salt was used as, a, as a, something that you would trade. It was also used in payment back then. I mean, salt was something that, what, that everybody needed and everybody wanted. And if you've ever heard a sermon on salt of the earth, I know you've heard the things that salt was used for back in the day and still used in these ways today. One, it was a preserver. Right? You would put it with the meat or the fish, and it would help it stay longer without it spoiling. And so it was used as a preserver. Another thing salt was used for is a purifier. Right? I mean, this is why you gargle with salt water and, and different things like that. It was something that, that they use and things that we use today. It purifies. And, of course, our favorite reason for salt is that it makes things taste good. It's a seasoning, and they probably used it not as much as America does, <laughs> but still, it was used for food. So you've got the three things. You've got the preserving, you have the purifying, and you have the seasoning. And that's where we say, okay, now go be the salt of the earth and go and, go and preserve and purify and season, all right? Case closed, we're done. Let's get out of here and go to potluck but they're not ready for us over there yet. So we'll just stay here and we'll study this out a little bit more. Did Jesus want his disciples to be preservers? Or did he want his disciples to be purifiers? Or did he want his disciples to be seasoning? Or maybe it's all three? Well, let's take a look before we jump to conclusions. All right, so again, let's go back to the, to the verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, look at the context in which Jesus is talking about salt. Look at it. But if salt has lost its seasoning, some of them say savor, some of them say taste, some of them say saltiness, Jesus is immediately referring to salt in the flavor realm in the seasoning realm. That's how he talks about it. He doesn't say if salt has lost its ability to preserve or if salt has lost its ability to purify. It just says if salt has lost its savor, if, lo if salt has lost its seasoning or, or flavoring, then how shall its saltiness be restored? He specifically brings up its taste. Now, does this automatically mean that we throw the other two out and say, you know, does Jesus not want us to preserve and purify? Well, let's kind of dig into this a little bit more because I, it, not necessarily, but the reality is I'm not sure we really have those capabilities. Let me explain. I don't have the power to purify you, <laughs> nor do you have the power to purify me, nor do we have the power to purify ourselves but I do know who has the power to purify 
Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, if you would. Not the Gospel of John, the letters of John. We're going to, to uh, 1 John chapter 3. We're just going to look at the first three verses here in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I love, I love John's writings. And, and here, see the kind of love that God has given to us that we are called children of God. We should be called it, and we are that. We're not just called it. We are children of God, okay? The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Him, because we shall see him as he is. Look at this. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, the, the way that this, this really is is everyone who hopes in him, hopes in who? Hopes in Jesus. Hopes in what? You got to read just before that. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And everyone who hopes thus in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, Jesus has a purifying effect in our life. When we hope for him, when we look to him, when we keep our eyes fixed on him, that should be transforming and changing our life. I mean, you think about it, and you've heard this before, but if you knew that Jesus was coming again tomorrow at noon, would that not change your day a little bit? The, the to-do list of all the little things that you got to do around the house might just not seem that important compared to what was happening. So in this idea of hoping for him, looking to him, it transforms us because our eyes are on him, not on the things around us or the things of this world. In, other, in, in this last part, this idea of purifying, because... I am getting closer to him, and because of who he is, my heart changes because he gives me a new heart. So he's the one that has the purifying power. I don't have that. You don't have that. I don't have that. Jesus has that, okay? Now, when we think about preserving, we immediately think of keeping things the way that they've always been. And that would be a mistake. With this idea of, of keeping things the way that they are, and I know that, that the good old days are always those things that we want to try to keep. But if you really think about it, there's never a point, any time in history, that you would look at it and say, that's what we want to go back to. And I don't even think there's a point today that this is where we want to stay. And I don't think there's a point in the future outside of the second coming of Christ that we're going to look at and say, this is where we want to stay right here. You see, here's the thing. When has Jesus ever kept anything the way that it is? When he came on this earth, he didn't sit there and say, you know what, guys? We need to keep this whole thing that you guys got going exactly the way that it needs to be going. 
No, he's, he came in there and he's flipping tables. He's doing everything he can to try to get their attention back to where God is. And, and the thing is, is what about you and what about me? Jesus hasn't kept us the way that we've always were. When he came into our life, he loves us, he accepts us right there, but man, he, he works in us and he transforms us. He doesn't keep us the way it is. So the whole idea of preserving something is not meaning that you keep something the same always. But preservation was about saving something. It was keeping something from spoiling, right? When you caught fish, you would preserve it with salt so that it wouldn't rot. So you were saving it for a later time to be able to eat, to consume, right? Preserving in this context should be understood as saving. So... I can't save you, and you can't save me, and we can't even save ourselves. So the reason I say those things is the, the, the reality is, is that this idea of salt, we have to really understand what Jesus means by what he wants us to be as salt. I can't save you. I can't purify you. So what do I do? Well, remember the scripture of Ephesians 2, just to make sure that we're under, we understand that the whole idea of I can't save you and you can't save me and all that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's Jesus that has the power to purify it's Jesus that has the power to cleanse. It's Jesus that has the power to preserve or save. So what do we do? I mean, come on. He says that we're the salt of the earth. Don't we have anything we can do around here? We season. We season. And the question is, is why do we season? Because we know that Jesus has the power to penetrate the soul, to preserve, and to purify. And we have the great responsibility of seasoning this earth. With what? <laughs> and that's, you know, what, what do you do? Okay, the gospel, what, you know, the, with garlic salt. Okay, so salt is valued, again, this is coming from the Mount of Blessing, and I love this. Salt is valued for its preservative properties. And when God calls his children salt, he would teach them that his purpose in making them the subjects of his grace is that they become agents in saving others. So the object of God in choosing a people before all the world was not only that, they, that he might adopt them as his sons and daughters, but through them, the world might receive the grace that bringeth salvation. In other words, what, what, what she's trying to, to, to illustrate here is that it's not just the fact that we're called children of God. God didn't save us just so that we get that title and he's our father, but he saves us so that we can be used by him 
to share who he is so that he can save others. We get to be a part of the whole salvation process. Isn't that cool? Because the reality is, is, is God doesn't, doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And so when he comes into our hearts and he penetrates the soul and he purifies and he, and he preserves, he saves, he's doing that so that we then become salt, so that we season, so that others may experience his salvation. I think it's important that Jesus says these words where he says them because if you think about it, let's go back to Matthew 5. Back to the, to the Beatitudes, especially the last two. <laughs> the, last, the last two that we've studied. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, I think at that point, I'd probably be saying, maybe Jesus is trying to tell us to just kind of back up a little bit. Let's not be so much in this world. Let's kind of seclude to ourselves because we don't want to be persecuted. I mean, that hurts. That's painful. And we don't want people to say bad things to us. So we just kind of step back into our own little sheltered world, right? This idea that we're separatists and I'm going to do my own thing all by myself or with my own little crew, my own little thing here. We'll have our, build a little compound over here and we'll just stay to ourselves so no one can get to us. And so I think it's important that Jesus, immediately after saying those things, is telling us, you're the salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. Salt must be mingled with the substance in which it was added. What I mean is, if you don't put the salt in the food, you're never going to taste it. And if we don't put salt in this world, then people aren't going to know about it. In other words, they're not going to experience who Jesus is if you're not and I'm not spreading it around. Salt must be mingled. She continues in the Mount of Blessing, it must penetrate and infuse in order to preserve. So it is through personal contact and association that men are reached by the saving power of the gospel. They're not saved in masses. They're saved as individuals. Personal influence is a power, and we must come close to those whom we desire to benefit. In other words, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. If you don't spread it, people aren't going to experience it. And that's exactly what our time together this afternoon is starting that conversation. Because if we think we can just stay within the four walls of our church and continue to just be church, we're not salt and we're not light. And this is what Jesus has called us to be. 
And if Jesus is telling us to be the salt and the light of our community, the same way that he's telling us to be merciful, and the same way he's telling us to, to, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, the same way he's telling us to mourn and to be comforted, if we think that those things are important, let me tell you something, he's continuing the importance trail. And this is important for us to be salt and for us to be light. But I will tell you this, you cannot give what you do not have. She continues again, the savor of the salt, the savor, the taste, represents the vital power of the Christian, which is the love of Jesus in your heart. It is the righteousness of Christ changing your life. The love of Christ is diffusive and aggressive. It is dwelling in us. It will, if it is dwelling in us, it will flow out to others. If it is in us, it will flow out to others. You can't give what you do not have. And I believe that Jesus is kind of getting to that when in this next part, because he says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? What if salt lost its taste? What a weird thing to say. Real salt doesn't lose its taste. For those of you who are the, the, the chemistry people, Ella, salt is a, is, is a solid compound. It is not easily broken down. It is something that is there. It's sodium chloride, and sodium chloride is sodium chloride. That's as much science as I know about it, okay? So what does this mean? How does the world, does salt lose its saltiness? Because salt is salt, and real salt can't lose its saltiness. So obviously Jesus is trying to make a point here, but I do think it's important and to know that they weren't always dealing with pure salt. Not like you and I have the ability to just open up your cupboards and take out a thing and dump it. <laughs> they didn't have that luxury. A lot of times it was going by the seaside. A lot of, they had their processes and how they would they'd do all those things. But a lot of times when it was gathered, it would get mixed with impurities. In other words, what they had been thought was salt wasn't really salt. It may have had some taste to it, but at the end of the day, once it got washed away or the dampness or moisture or whatever, it came to a point that it wasn't salt. Unfortunately, there are many who proclaim to be salt. They look like salt. They taste like salt. But they're not salt. At the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, it loses its saltiness. There are many who proclaim to be Christians, disciples, and they look like Christians, and they look like disciples. And they sound like disciples, 
I don't know how they taste. I'm not going to taste them. But at the end of the day, they aren't. We have imposters in the mix. But you have to understand that even in the 12 that Jesus had fallen around, he had imposters in the mix. There were people around him all the time listening to him on the Sermon on the Mount and being fed the, the, the fish and the loaves and, and experiencing miracles all around. And yet there's still those who said, I will follow you to the end, and they didn't. There are those that lost saltiness. But here's the thing. Real salt can't lose its saltiness. It means someone who has been called by God and has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and, and truly are all in and allowing the, the love and the grace of Christ to completely transform their life, you're going to be salty. Not in a bad way salty, you know? It's not like, why are you so salty? Not like you're mean. Like, this is a good kind of salt. What makes the difference, then, between salt and non-salt? What makes the difference between a disciple and an imposter disciple? And while we would want to say it's knowledge, and while we'd want to say it's behavior, and while we'd want to say it's, it's how you look, and all these different things, the truth is that's not what makes a disciple a disciple. And I'm reminded, again, of those words that Jesus gave his disciples that we talked about last week. We talked about in his last moments on this earth, a new commandment I give to you. Here he goes again. (laughs) That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know if you have love for one another. What would it look like in your life to truly surrender and allow the love of Christ to penetrate your soul, every part of your being? Before you think that's going to be really great, (laughs) you ever had salt purify a wound? Sometimes it's painful. But there's a purpose, and there's meaning behind it. Forgiving someone who you don't want to forgive. Being kind to someone who doesn't deserve to be kind. To those that are of the world and they just don't get it like you get it. What would it look like for you and for me to get out of our comfort zone, to get out of the four walls and to infuse Jesus' love to everyone? Can I say this? 
It starts at home. It starts in your home. It starts in this home. It starts in the home of our community. You see, the reality is, is oftentimes what we want to do is we want to talk about getting out to go to the lost or to go to all these things while we ignore home. So there's this fine balance, right? Pastor, you just said we got to get out of the four walls. Yeah, but if we don't love each other within the four walls, how do we love people outside the four walls? And if, if I can't, if I have a hard time loving people within these four walls, or I should say this, if we're having a hard time loving the people within our home four walls, how in the world then do we come here in love and how do we go out of there? If you can't be loving and kind to your spouse, how in the world can you show the love of Jesus to people outside? If you can't show love to your own self, and who God has created you to be. And I'm not talking about prideful love. I'm saying taking care of who you, who, what God has given to you, right here, your mind, your body, your spirit, those things. If we can't take care of that, how in the world can we take care of others? It's got to start at home. It's got to start in your own heart. If there's grudges that you're holding on to, how in the world could you then go tell a world that, God loves them and will forgive them for everything and, and, and look how much of a difference he's made in your life. How could, we, how could we live so drastically different and yet say something completely different? See, that's what's so important about understanding that we're free from sin and we're free from the bondage of what the enemy has done. When you recognize and we recognize that we're not just called sons and daughters of God, but we are sons and daughters of God, when we are set free, when we are redeemed, when we recognize that, then how we view our spouse, how we view our kids, how we view our family, how we view our church family, and how we view our community, everything shifts and changes. It's no longer me trying to prove that I'm salt. I just am salt. Just like the idea of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not like I can force fruit. I just am. That's who I am, and that's what God has called me to be, and that's what God makes me. When love fills the heart, it flows out to other people. Not because, not because of the good things that you do to them or the things that you want to get back. Because it's action. Love modifies the character. Love governs the impulses. Love subdues strife, and enmity, and anger, and fighting. She continues in the Mount of Blessing, This love is as broad as the universe and is in harmony with that of the angel workers. You want to be an angel worker? Love. Cherished in the heart, it sweetens the entire life and sheds its blessings upon all that are around you. It is this and only this that can make us the salt of the earth. Love. Genuine love. 
See, if there's no actual service, if there's no genuine love, if there's no reality of experience, there's really no power to help, and there's no connection with heaven, and the savor of Christ in the life. It's just not there. But when, you, when Christ is there, it changes everything in our hearts and our lives. So, season it up. This is one area that you cannot over-season. Okay? This is one of those things that you're not going to take a bite and go, oh, that's too much. Sharing the love of God. That means forgiving people, being kind to people, serving people, thinking of others before yourself, letting go, moving forward, hand in hand, not picking on people, loving on people. Love penetrates the soul purifies and saves. So when you and I season, when you and I spread, when you and I do all those things, we may think, oh yeah, come on pastor, we're supposed to be out there purifying and preserving. Jesus does that. But that doesn't mean we don't play a role. Because when we season, salt penetrates. And when salt penetrates, it purifies. It saves. You and I have an opportunity moving forward from this day on, showing love first in our home, our church home, and our community home as we spread and season the love of Christ everywhere we go, I believe we're going to see Jesus get a hold of hearts that we never thought were possible, souls that we never thought would ever be interested because Jesus has that effect on people. So what do you say, church? Are we ready to season it up? Ready to pour it out? Don't be stingy with the gospel. Be generous. Lay it on there. Season it up because you can't over-season with the love of Jesus. I know it sounds good. But without Jesus' love in your heart, you and I can't do this. It's impossible. So may we first accept what Jesus has done in our life. Let him shape us and mold us because if the love of Christ is here in our hearts, it will easily, naturally flow out to those around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you because we know that at some point in our life, someone else seasoned us with your love. And that salt that was seasoned penetrated our soul and began to reveal things and show us things and move us and transform us. Lord, that we look back and we wonder how in the world did I not accept your love sooner? How could I have lived a life so selfish? How could I have been so self-centered? We look back and we wonder how. But now, we look at what you've done in our life and what you're doing in our life. 
and it makes us joyful. And we praise you and we thank you because we know that it's not us that has done these things, but it's you. And if you can do these things in our life, giving us joy and peace and love and, and gentleness and kindness and self-control, if, you, if that's the fruit that you bring into our life, we can't help but want to share that same love that seasoning, that salt everywhere. Lord, may you fill us up so full that we spill it all over the place. That when, when someone would bump into us, your salt would just shower them. When they say something mean to us, that, our, that the salt would just pour out. May your love fill us so full that it overflows to others. Thank you for allowing us to be part of this whole process. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for using us. So Lord, help us to be the salt of the earth that you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.